this is going to be a departure from a typical business of design episode. You can think of this more as a Netflix thriller, I think. Yeah, let's go with that. We are going to talk about the scary world of cybersecurity and specifically ransomware attacks. I'm even going to do some investigative journalism. Not really, but I am going to search the internet for more information. It's a good episode. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome to the Business of Design podcast with Kimberly Selden. Business of Design is the world's best business training for interior design professionals like you. We have the systems, strategies, and protocols you need to consistently satisfy clients, increase profitability, and run your projects like a boss. Unlike traditional coaching, BOD is a fast track to immediate results. Don't try to do this alone. Join today and you'll have access to hundreds of targeted training modules, plus member perks like BOD Live events, member-only podcasts, preferred pricing, and the support of an engaged community of peers. We all know design matters. At Business of Design, we think designers matter too. After interviewing our guest today, I decided to do some research and follow up and see what I could find out about how vulnerable we all are as interior design professionals and perhaps small business owners, which is most often a category that means you have less than five employees. And that's most of us, right? I wanted to know specifically, how worried should I be Turns out the answer is pretty worried, I'm sorry to say. I did some research and I'm going to share some of the insights from an article I found on Forbes.com with an author named Ted Knutson. That's Knutson with a K. Ted, I have no idea how you put up with that last name as a young kid, but it must have been tough. And now I can only assume that you are, did I just say that? A tough nut, Ted. Like, Awesome. Thank you for this article. Ted specializes and writes about cybersecurity, financial regulatory issues, as well as Bitcoin. And according to Ted's article from July 27th, he says that small businesses are bearing the brunt of ransomware attacks. And I guess that's what he told the Senate Judiciary Committee just a month or so ago in 2021. Small businesses make up over half the victims. And ransomware does not just affect the deeper pockets of large companies like the Colonial Pipeline, which we all heard about, right? However, the article does go on to say that even simple steps a small business can take, such as basic cybersecurity hygiene, best practices, which includes keeping your operating system software and applications up to date and patched, or making sure that your antivirus and anti-malware solutions automatically update and run regular scans. All of those things can significantly raise your defensive posture. So says Jeremy Sheridan, who is the director of Secret Service Cyber Fraud Task Forces. That sounds like someone you could trust on this matter. I think we can trust our guest today to IT expert Boris Rappaport when he says we are relatively easy targets because the amount of money hackers might ask us for is somewhat small and therefore it's likely that many of us would just pay it 
to get our online lives back. And that does seem like some kind of scary Netflix show, I got to say. And speaking of which, have you guys already seen Line of Duty? We are binging our way through it right now. It's a crime show and it's British. It definitely keeps you on the edge of your seat. Um, Not like 24 did. Remember 24 with Jack Bauer? That was the first binge-worthy television I remember enjoying. It was so much fun. And I love when they'd say like, we have to change all the traffic lights in LA to red all at the same time. And then Chloe would say, that's impossible. It can't be done. Wait a second. F10. Okay, we're in. Anyway, You can tell I was a big fan of that show. It was so much fun. Line of Duty has a little bit of that. Uh, But anyway, we're enjoying it. Anywho, back to business of design. That's why you're here. Cybersecurity. That's a thing we have to worry about. Oh my gosh. Yikes. When you get to Forbes.com, they have a number of different articles written by a variety of authors. But for example, top 10 ransomware, antivirus software, top 10 best anti-malware software. It might be worth checking out if this is something you haven't thought about. And our guest today will also give a couple of recommendations. Listen, it's the world we live in, right? What can we say? Cheryl, how much do you think about cybersecurity? How often does that come up when you're talking to our tech team? Okay, cybersecurity. can't say that I think about it in terms of, you know, overall cybersecurity. For one, it's outside of my expertise, and we're very lucky with business of design. We do have a, a tech team, a, a go-to person if anything comes up, so it's not necessarily a daily concern or, or worry, something that I think about in terms of cybersecurity. But I guess to break it down, I mean, we deal with passwords, uh, things like that. I mean, I can log into 30 different sites with different usernames and passwords in a single day. You know, I think it was certainly a bigger concern or thought um, before, but now we've got such good protocol, like, you know, for everything for everything else we do, um, you know, our, our tech team has just trained us so well in terms of uh, using secure passwords and that they're saved in an, you know, an online vault um, and, and things like that, that it's uh, something that you don't realize that you think about so often because it's just part of your daily tasks and those good habits I've carried over, uh, you know, working with other clients' accounts and, um, you know, my own personal login details and, and things like that. But anything bigger that I think you'd consider cybersecurity, again, is sort of ex- outside of my expertise. And, uh, you know, we're lucky to rely on a knowledgeable team to, to do that and have, you know, that guru on the team that just, you know, it's out of our hands. We don't have to think about it because he does. I'm excited to learn more about it when we bring experts on the, the show that know a lot more about it than, than I do. So it's, you know, a good episode for that, for sure. I would say it did take a little time for us to develop those good habits, too. I was in some really bad habits. But anyway, we're going to try to correct that today. And thank you for sharing that, by the way. What's happening at Business of Design? You must have some announcements. Yeah, for announcements, we just, uh, last week we launched MoBOD episode 14. So we do only put out member-only episodes 
every few weeks as opposed to our public episodes, which obviously go live every week. But we get such amazing feedback from the podcast that, you know, we share so much and so many longtime listeners have made huge strides in their business from listening to the podcast alone that, you know, I've started getting the testimonial or feedback lately that like if we hang hung on to a snippet or a clip or you know kept a certain interview exclusive to the members only podcast that it must really be a good conversation uh, that we've sort of locked it down and, and kept it exclusive just for our members because we do share so candidly on the on the weekly podcast. So again, um, that's with three uh, Business of Design members, Rebecca, Kathy, and Lindsay, and they're talking about trades, do, and don't. So you know, you're going to get some good stories there. So that went live last week. If you are already a Business of Design member, head to your dashboard. You can just click through to listen. And if you're not a member, please, you know, Join us, listen into these extra episodes, and of course, you know, you'll know you gain access to all of the systems and procedures we teach at Business of Design through the membership and our programming. So that's it for this week, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Cheryl. Of course, I would be completely remiss if I didn't reach out to Business of Design's technical team to get further insights about the topic of conversation we're going to have. So in addition to everything you will hear Boris recommend, the BOD tech team, and by the way, they are standing by all the time. If you've ever had an issue on the website, you know how quickly we respond and we're very, very grateful to them. They've asked us to keep their anonymity because they are just not able to add any clients to their roster at the moment. But in any case, I reached out and the very first thing they said we should all be thinking about is just being aware of best practices, such as using strong passwords, being careful about opening links, or attachments with emails and confirming outside requests for sensitive information. It's true, they used to bug us about that all the time, and we are now in the habit of just forwarding anything that looks in any way, shape, or form like, hmm, that could be phishing or it could be spam. The head of our IT also said to just, you know, be aware that everything that's going to be suggested will enhance your protection, but without basic online safety, there's always someone who can get through. Like consider the fact that hospitals, public utilities, big companies, they have the most up-to-date technical ransomware attack software and security solutions available on the market, and they still get hacked sometimes. I think it's safe to say in our case, it would be someone who is just kind of a lazy hacker looking for an easy route in. So the business-grade antivirus software that Boris recommends is going to be robust for most of us, but in fact, to keep in mind that the free versions of personal antivirus software will usually suffice. And over the years, Windows and OSX have incorporated their own antivirus detection and quarantine measures directly into their operating systems, but it doesn't hurt to have that antivirus software on top of that. They also strongly recommend that everybody use a password manager like LastPass or Dashlane. And most small businesses will be fine with the free version. What I love about the one that we use is it does encourage us to use more robust passwords. 
I'll just say this too, that they took this opportunity to make fun of my pathetic passwords that I used to have, like, hello, exclamation mark. No, no, no. That's just not a good password. So don't do it. Lots to think about in this episode. And as we said, go to the show notes to follow up on any of these suggestions. Now let me tell you about our guest today. Boris Rappaport worked for over 20 years helping architectural design and engineering firms make their business more efficient and profitable with the use of technology. But for the past four years, he's been running Arch IT, which is an IT services firm dedicated to helping architects realize technology as a competitive advantage for their firms. Let's get into it. I'm so glad you're here. Boris, hey, nice to see you. Hi, Kimberly. Nice to see you as well. And thank you for having me on the show. Of course I have you on the show because I want to talk about IT issues. Everybody loves IT issues. <laughs> and we love them as well, right? We love solving them and helping helping you guys solve them. Well, that must feel good, at least to be able to solve them, as opposed to me, whose solution is to like bang on the keyboard when it's not doing what I need it to do. A little backstory why we decided to have Boris on the show, you guys. The application that he sent in, or that his team sent in, caught our attention because it said that his firm specializes in helping architects and, I assume by default, interior design professionals. And we were so curious, why would we... Um, as a category of professional business owners, why would we require specialized help, I guess? Why do you specialize? The reason why we specialize in working with architects and interior designers um, is because um, the t- some of the tools um, that you guys are using are completely different than what a law firm or an you know, accounting firm might use, right? Um, so, you know, for things like um, a lot of our uh, design clients use the AutoCAD products. They also use um, ArchiCAD and uh, uh, Vectorworks products as well. And for those, um, you know, it's not always easy to find a solution because they're so uh, industry specific, right? So we see sometimes, well, one of the things that we've dealt with recently, uh, especially around, uh, especially with our Mac um, offices, right, is when Apple released, um, you know, the newest uh, operating system and broke some of the software. So we had to install the updates and make sure we work with the providers to um, to get that all squared away. So I think the, specific, the specificity of the software um, is where we see many issues, um, specifically with interior design and architecture firms. I'm just curious, since you brought up the big three, uh, ARCHICAD, uh, AutoCAD, and Vector, is that the third one? We don't use that one. Vectorworks, yep. Vectorworks. Is, do, do you see, as someone looking over the shoulder of the architect or designer, do you see that one of those products is superior to the other ones, or, or are they all, do they all have issues from time to time? Um, I'm going to say they all have issues from time to time, and it also depends on, um, it, it depends a lot on what the workflow is in the office, right? So people can use specific features that, create additional problems or, you know, not use specific, you know, not use those features and um, kind of use the base, basic features. In that case, a lot of times it works just fine, right? But if you're, what happens a lot is if you install plugins, especially with um, AutoCAD, uh, sometimes those plugins uh, can cause the programs to fail and we have to figure out, you know, which one it is, disable it and, you know, let the person work after that. 
My guess is that most people listening, when they hear the word plugin, think immediately of their websites. I mean, we, I, we can't do what we do at Business of Design without plugins, and yet they do seem to cause a lot of problems. Yeah, that's correct. Right. So that would be one. Also, um, it's because their printer is no longer printing properly. Ah, okay, okay. So that's less specialized, that mundane stuff that makes me turn into a raving lunatic sometimes. Like something so small like that just makes me lose my mind. But also uh, one of the things that is not specific to designers and architects, right, is cybersecurity and all the news that we have about, you know, businesses getting uh, hacked, hacked is a word um, that, you know, everybody understands, I think, nowadays. Um, But, you know, hacking is not necessarily just somebody trying to steal your data. It's also somebody getting into your systems and trying to extort money from you by, um, you know, encrypting all of your files, all of your project files and, and not letting you um, and your business functions because you can't access those files anymore. So they encrypt the files and then they start extorting money from you. Um, so it's basically, it's called ransomware. But yeah, so something like that happens a lot. Um, I mean, I think there's a statistic now that uh, every 11 seconds in business uh, gets ransomware infected. And, you know, it's right now is like a multi-billion industry uh, for the bad guys. Um, so, that's also something that we help with is making sure that you have all of your security posture uh, in place, making sure that you're not going to get ransomware infected. Like we put systems in place to, uh, to combat that and, um, you know, basically keep your office running safe and secure and keep your data safe and secure. I never considered for one second that an interior design office would be a target of somebody looking to plant ransomware Oh, I, you know what I mean? I guess I, I just thought these are huge corporations where there's a lot of money or important data that they're trying to get to, or actually they're trying to get to money, right? Are small businesses targeted frequently as well? Well, you'll be surprised, but small businesses are actually the biggest target. Um, all of the, so from from standpoint of reported attacks last year, uh, more than 70% of anything that was reported are small businesses, and that's businesses under 50 people. And also that's just reported, right? A lot of small businesses don't report it because uh, it's, you know, when, when, the ransom, um, when the ransom gangs ask them for money, it's like usually under $50,000. So they're actually paying it, which is not, it doesn't always work because you pay the ransom and you don't get your files back. And then the FBI can actually come after you. Um, and, you know, there have been some cases in the news where, um, the FBI came after people who paid the ransom because it's basically like uh, abating, helping and abating terrorists, right? Uh, it's a similar concept there from that standpoint. Okay, this suddenly took a dire <laughs> turn. It's like some Netflix series and you're freaking me out. Okay, so we definitely well, need to... I don't want to freak you out. But, <laughs> but we do need to be more concerned. Oh, I'll speak for myself. I, it sounds like I need to be more concerned about cybersecurity perhaps than I am. I need to take that seriously, even at uh, even if my business is small. Yeah, and I mean, just imagine, like you're a five person firm, right? For example, um, and somebody goes in and encrypts all your project files, so you have no access to your files. You can't do any work, and you're sitting there not knowing what to do. 
Um, you know, it can take days for you, if you have good backups and you're running this yourself, it can take days for you to recover data, uh, but you may not even have good backups. And in that case, your data is pretty much gone. Now imagine what's that going to do to your business, right? So even if you recover data and it takes you like three, four days, then basically you've lost three, four days worth of productivity for your whole team. I mean, five people billing at a hundred dollars an hour, you know, that's at least what, uh, sorry, 500 times eight. Right. That's at least $4,000. Don't a ask day, me. Right? I'm, so. like, I'm a mathlete, so don't ask me. But, <laughs> but so much worse than that is the stress. I can't even imagine the yeah. extreme stress I would be under in that situation. On the other hand, maybe I'd say to my clients, gee, sorry, we were hacked and we're going to have to take a month off. Bye. I don't know. No, I wouldn't say. Who would say that? Nobody would say that. Okay. So right, what, I mean, then let's talk about what are the things we can do to protect ourselves? What are some of the smart things you can do, no matter what size your office is right now, to create those backups and protect yourself? Well, so um, the easiest things that everybody should do um, is make sure, so I'm going to give you a few things. So the first one is we need to protect uh, our endpoints, which are our computers, basically, right? So endpoints are uh, devices, in this case, computers that connect to our data. We want to make sure that we have a business-grade antivirus solution that's running on it. Like some of the basic stuff that you get for free or you buy that came with a computer, um, it, it it's not good from a sense of stopping most sophisticated attacks. It does good on the basic stuff, but not on the more uh, sophisticated attacks. What, so you want a business-grade solution. What are some of the names of business-grade solutions that people should consider? Um, so, again, Bitdefender is one, but it has to be the business uh, kind, right? So Bitdefender for business, uh, WebRoot Secure Anywhere, Um there's a semantic endpoint protection business product as well. Uh, Trend, uh, Trend Micro has another product for business as well. But yeah, make sure that it's a business-graded system as opposed to just uh, something off the shelf for consumers. Would I be overreacting if I wanted that same system for my personal life? Oh, no, for sure. Like you want to protect, um, uh, you want to protect all of the devices uh, that you have and you own and you want the best in class solutions. And I mean, basically you're paying 36 to $40 a year for a business grade solution where something, you know, it's well worth it to protect yourself, but that's just the first step, right? Um, that software is the first step. You also want to make sure that either that software includes it or you buy this separately, uh, something that's called a URL filter. And it's a software that, runs on your computer and kind of monitors where you go, uh, which websites. And I know some people may have privacy concerns with that, but it's well worth it to protect you, right? It monitors where you go. And if you click on a bad link or you follow a bad link through a website, it will block uh, that link. And one of the products that we use and is really popular, um, it's it's called Cisco Umbrella. It used to be an open DNS and Cisco bottom and renamed them uh, into Umbrella. So that's a very good product as well. So not only, so in this case now, you're protecting not only from the files that you can download, which your antivirus will protect from, uh, but also the links that you click on, uh, which the URL filter will protect you from. So when I go to, I, I type in a website and then I get some kind of error message that says, this, is, this site is not private, go back. Is that what's happening? I have that URL protector? 
Uh, it's a little different. So what you're talking about is something that's currently built into the browsers, mostly uh, Google Chrome, uh, Mozilla Firefox, and um, others. Now every browser requires people that present websites to have something called a SSL encryption. So what that means is the connection between your computer and the website is encrypted so that nobody can uh, listen in on that traffic, right? So if you're sending some sensitive data, like your password, your social security number, it's always encrypted and nobody can listen in. Uh, that's different than a URL filter, but that's also a good functionality. If the website is not encrypted, you don't want to um, deal with it. Like all businesses, if you're a business owner, should have the SSL certificate enclosed, uh, installed on their website. How do you know if you have it? For example, our domain, getarchit.com, if you go to getarchit.com, it will show um, a green lockbox and it'll say um, that, you know, this um, this website is, um, I don't remember for sure. I don't remember what the words are. I can look it up right now. <laughs> I've seen that green lockbox, though. Yeah, and that green lockbox basically tells you that the session is encrypted. So if you want to check whether your business website has it, you can just go to your domain through a browser uh, like Google Chrome, and um, it, you know you can confirm. And basically, yeah, what this says: connection is secure. Your information, for example, passwords, credit card numbers, is private when it's sent to this site. So that's the one you want to look for. Very good. Okay, so uh, we need to get some antivirus software, the URL protector. What else can we do? Well, one of the biggest um, kind of security attack vectors, we call them, right, is where the bad guys can get into your systems, is email. So you, um, if you're a business owner and you're um, using an email provider like Google G Suite, or uh, Microsoft Office 365, it comes with a basic spam filtering. Um, and it's, it's pretty good from filtering out like spam and unwanted email. It does not do a good, a good job of um, giving you advanced security. And by advanced security, I mean attacks like, um, we call them social engineering attacks or impersonation attacks. This would be something like, um, you know, if I'm a CEO of a company and we're a company of 40, I have a CFO, right? And this is actually a real, real story. <laughs> so a CEO was on a business trip um, outside of the country and they were supposed to close a deal, right? So he goes on this business trip and the CFO knows that they're supposed to close a deal. Uh, and from what we've understood after when we did our kind of research afterwards um, is that the bad guys were in the CEO's mailbox for a long, long time and they were monitoring uh, all the emails. So what happens is he goes on this business trip and he's actually, they know when his flight is, he's actually on a flight and they send an email um, to the CFO saying, hey, we're, we just closed the deal. Um, can you wire $500,000 to this account? And the CFO, because he kind of knew that the deal is about to be closed, right? He didn't question that, I uh, just went and wired the money right out of the company. Okay, that's terrifying. You, if this is meant to be like a comforting episode, I'm sorry, everybody. This is like scary bedtime stories with Boris. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry about that too. Like, we're not in business of scaring people, but we want to make sure that the business owner understands what the risk to the business is, right? Our goal is to make sure that the business owners um, protect their business, mitigate the risk, and keep their businesses running. 
that's what IT is supposed to do, I think. What could we do in that situation? Because it, it probably looked like an inner office email that the person got, right? Like how, how paranoid do we have to be? I guess we don't have to be paranoid, but we do have to look at emails um, in a way where we feel that every email, unless we know for sure it's good, is not necessarily good, right? So we have to have that mindset. But from a technology standpoint, um, there are tools out there called advanced threat protection tools, which you can implement. Um, one of the tools we use is called Mimecast. There's also a really good one called Proofpoint. Um, both of those will help you, um, you know, if configured properly, stop these kind of impersonation attacks. Like for any customer that we work with, we enable that functionality and you'll be amazed how many uh, how many things we catch that are like, hey, um, you know, hey, Brian, this is, and this is again, like one of the business owners, for example, and hey, Brian, this is so-and-so, can you do me a quick favor? Can you run out and get 500 gift cards for our customers and scratch off the numbers and send to me, you know, stuff like that, um, that we kind of see as common sense. Um, sometimes people when in the rush don't pay attention to, right? right. Um, and we see that sometimes that stuff works, right? Because if somebody's checking that email on their phone and they're doing 10 other things, they're not even thinking about that this could be a bad email. We can put enough technology in place to kind of prevent some of those things from happening. But in the end, it's your employees, right? Your team members um, who need to be trained as well and make sure that they, um, they can understand these type of threats and make sure they can identify that this is not a good email. Wow, and we, we we get all the time like an email from PayPal or um, our bank, and I'm suspicious of every single email now. I always forward it to our IT people and say, "Can I open this?" And most of the time, they say no. Most of the time, they'll say, "No, this is spam or phishing or whatever." Yeah, and that's exactly the service that we um, give to our customers as well. We, we try to train them to a point where uh, if it doesn't look good then it's bad and forward that to us so we can confirm whether we can open it or not. Okay, so your company is? Uh, Arc IT. Arc IT. And I know you work with all kinds of offices. Is there, is there some kind of package that would work for a smaller firm versus a larger firm? How does that work? Yeah, um, actually, uh, we publish all our pricing and our packages on a website. Um, so if people go to our website and go to the pricing page, they can see it. But we have a specific package for smaller firms. If you're a firm of under five people, we try to make it as affordable as possible because, again, we want to work with you. We want to invest in you so you can hopefully grow your business, right? And then as you grow, um, since we charge per user, uh, we kind of grow with you uh, in that sense as well, right? Uh, but for smaller firms, we basically have you know a flat fee, uh, for under five people. So it doesn't matter if you're one person or five people. Um, the fee stays the same. Can I ask what the fee is? Sure. Uh, it's $300 a month. And we include two hours of support uh, in it. Plus, we include all the security stuff we talked about, uh, all the strategic guidance and advice we talked about, um, you know, backups. Like, we put a solution in place where we feel comfortable supporting you so we don't have to like worry about the risk to your business, right? So we mitigate the risk because for that small fee, we're as invested as you are into making sure your business stays up and running. 
One thing I noticed is for many years, we didn't have a company to help us out. And we were constantly struggling and hiring someone and they would come in and they would fix it and then would break again. And it was just like a constant rotation of people and companies. And and then I finally said, I can't take it anymore. We have to hire a company, uh, a person, a company to manage the situation. And I found we actually saved money because we were just we just kept throwing money at problems and there wasn't one team making sure all the parts were talking to each other, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And that's, I guess, that's the premise of our service. You know, initially when you're a small firm, a lot of the stuff is just fixing issues. But as as we talked about, uh, if you have that growth mindset and you're, you know, you're looking to grow your business, um, the strategic component really starts working uh, for you to make sure that you're making those right decisions and making the right investments. A lot of times we, when we just come into a company, we find like 40 different pieces of software, right? That maybe one person's used back in a day and, but nobody even knows what it does, but you're still paying for it because you don't know what it does, right? Maybe somebody else is using it. So, um, you know, kind of, we take, inventory of everything you have and we sit down with you and ask questions and try to figure out what is, you know, what is the best mix um, of tools for your workflows and how to move that forward. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Boris, we like to end every episode with design intervention, just a great piece of business advice you think uh, people listening would be super happy to have and they should implement right away. Well, I don't want to sound like a cliche because probably a lot of people um, talk about this, but to me, um, you know, um, one of the great advices I got was, um, you know, making sure that you plan for the future. Um, And, you know, if you plan to fail or sorry, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Right. So um, basically I want to pass that on is um, making sure that you kind of have the end in mind of where you're trying to go your business. I know it's not always easy. It's not, you know, it could be difficult just because too much day-to-day stuff, but you know, you want to have some time maybe once a week for a couple of hours just to kind of um, to clear your mind and have that strategic time with yourself or your partners. Um, if you have multiple business partners and review where you, trying to take the business and, you know, kind of plan, you know, know where you're trying to go and then kind of plan backwards uh, to make sure that you're getting there. That's one of those great expressions. Like I remember my grandma saying that my grandma would say, failing to plan is planning to fail. And you'd roll your eyes and say, Oh, grandma. And then years later, you're like, Oh, she was right. She was so right. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It's, um, it, I think it comes with age, right? I think as we grow, um, older, we're start thinking about the future more as we're really young. We're just thinking about the today. We know everything when we're young, but right? as we <laughs> exactly. age, we realize we not only do we not know everything, we know so little, so very little. How can people reach you? Uh, so our website is getarchit.com, G-E-T-A-R-C-H-I-T.com. And that video series, uh, if people go to the website and click on Lunch and Learn, uh, there's a lot of content there that I think will be helpful. Um, And then, you know, if somebody wants to send us an email, they can just click on Work With Us button um, on the website and um, fill out a form. All right. If you're driving in the car right now, don't worry. All of that information will be in the show notes. And Boris, thank you so much. Much appreciated. 
You're very welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being part of the Business of Design community and supporting BOD's mission to improve the industry one design business at a time. It's time for you to take the next step and join Business of Design. Like thousands of design professionals in 50 countries around the world, you'll find the systems, strategies, and protocols you need to dramatically improve your business and transform your life. What are you waiting for? Start today.